We are at the end of Matthew's Gospel, the 25th chapter. Matthew's Gospel only goes through 27. And here we hear Jesus telling his followers of what is to come and how they are to get ready. This parable is at the start of the 25th chapter of Matthew, and the two that follow instruct people for living, the parable of the talents, and then the separation of the sheep and the goats, where we hear the story of, when did I do this for you? And Jesus said, you did it for the least of me. When you did it for the least of me, you did it for me. But this parable at the beginning of the 25th chapter sets up the other two. What does it mean to be prepared for the coming of Christ? What does it mean to be ready for God's return, for the Messiah to come and to save us? And so in this parable, we get our instructions. We're informed of how to be prepared. Now Matthew's Gospel was written some 30 years after Jesus' death and resurrection. And so already, almost a whole generation had come and gone since Jesus was raised from the dead. Since Jesus first spoke these words to his followers before his death and resurrection and ascension into heaven. So it is that the listeners, the followers of Jesus, are trying to come to terms with what to do in this in-between time. What do we do in the waiting? This has been a question for all of those that have sought to follow God, anticipating God's salvation, anticipating the Messiah to come and to save us, to redeem creation, to reign and rule over it all so that all might be right and justice might flow down like rivers. The prophet Amos speaks about what it is that God longs to see, not our sacrifices, but a life dedicated to serving and following God. And this parable this morning emphasizes the same point. We might be caught off guard a little bit by the wise bridesmaids who resisted helping the foolish. But if we look at it, the emphasis is not about sharing in this parable, but about preparation about prioritizing that which is important to us and focusing on it so much that we make sure that we're ready for what's important to us and do not allow other things to stand in the way. While in the Holy Land, I got to see the strata of humanity for over 2,000 years. The Holy Land is made of limestone bedrock, something that can be carved out with some basic tools and is also strong enough to sustain and support building happening on top of it. And so things have been built upon things which have been built upon things which have been built upon things. And some of the holy sites, we have modern day churches which were built upon churches from the 11th and 12th century, which were built upon churches from the 4th century, which were built upon the understanding of a specific event in the life of Christ or his followers which happened there. And the reason that we believe that these places are true is because they were passed on immediately after Jesus' resurrection. People started to say, remember how he did that there? Let's go visit that place again. And so through generations, people started to visit that spot and told one another about it. This is the place. And over time, as Christianity developed, a little church was built there to say, this was the spot. This was where Jesus fed the 5,000. This was where he turned water into wine. This is the place where he was born. And so even now, in modern day, there are churches built upon things from 2,000 years ago. 
while visiting a particular church, they shared with us some of what they had uncovered underneath their basement. And they had it displayed in a little museum that was just the size of their building. The guide said to us, and over here in this case, we have oil lamps and flasks from the first century. And I made an audible response. Oh my gosh, I've heard about these. That's what's in the gospel lesson this morning. When Jesus is telling the parable, telling about the bridesmaids who took their oil lamps and their flasks of oil, but some didn't take their flasks of oil, this is what he had in mind. This is what he's referring to. The oil lamps were about the size of your palm in the, the, ball, the, the base of it, and then they extended into a little point where the wick would come out, and the base of it had a wider opening where you would pour the oil in. It was just the size of a hand, making it easy to use in your life. And they would burn for about two to three hours. They also had the flasks for oil, which couldn't have been more than four to six inches big. Again, right about the size of your palm, with a narrow opening at the top, perfect for pouring oil in and pouring oil out. And so here, as I saw these items, I was realizing that the palms that held these pieces were contemporary with the palm of Jesus. This was in the same time period. It was amazing to see what Jesus had in mind when he was telling this story. You see, bridesmaids in that day were not like we do it now. It wasn't your five best friends or people you've known all your life to stand up and witness these vows with you. It was part of the ritual of common life. There were professional mourners in the time of Jesus, and there were professional celebrators. Bridesmaids had a job. And so for these bridesmaids, and for anyone hearing the stories that Jesus was telling, they would have recognized this as a standard thing that happened. Bridesmaids were put on alert the bridegroom is coming to meet the bride's family. The procession will happen over to the bridegroom's home where his family will be there waiting to put on a feast that will last a very long time. We even hear about that in John's Gospel when Jesus changes water into wine. Weddings happened all the time. They were a part of the network, the social network. Nobody didn't get married unless you died before it was time to get married. So these bridesmaids were on alert and they were summoned to be on the lookout for the bridegroom. And I have to tell you, I have sympathy for the foolish. Because you know what? I know how that feels. To be called to something and you think, oh, all right, maybe you meant to get more oil, but you forgot because there were other things that you needed to do. And so you grab what you have and you run out and you think, well, hopefully it'll come, he'll come before this oil runs out. Maybe the bridegroom usually comes within two or three hours. By this story, we're led to believe such because we say that he's delayed. I liken it to my feeling when I get into the car to run an errand, which I really don't want to run, and I realize that I'm almost out of gas. And I think, well, maybe I have enough gas for this errand, because the last thing I want to do is get gas and do this errand. Have you ever hoped there was enough gas in your tank, and you hoped that your hope was enough to make it work? I imagine the foolish bridesmaids being that way. Oh, please let this be enough. The only thing that I hate more than running an errand, a 15-minute errand that I don't want to run, is having that 15-minute errand turn into a 45-minute errand because I didn't think it through. So Jesus is calling his listeners, calling us to be prepared. 
How is it that we remember to prepare for the coming of the Messiah, the Savior, the one who will redeem the world that will bring about the kingdom of God, which is mentioned so frequently in Matthew's Gospel? We need to pay attention to what it is we long for deeply. Because when we do, then we remember to prioritize that. And it helps us comb through all of the other things that demand our attention so that we can hold fast with strength and perseverance for what it is God longs to give us. This idea was best demonstrated in St. Ignatius of Loyola, a Spaniard who lived in the 1500s. He was a military man, but he had a revelation on the battlefield that changed his life and he devoted his life to following Christ. So moved was he by what God had done in Christ that he actually asked at the monastery where he served to be freed from celebrating the Mass with much frequency because he cried through it. It was so powerful to him what God had done in Christ. St. Ignatius of Loyola created a process of knowing how it is that God invites us to give all that we are and all that we have to God. What it is that we're reminded of in the book of Amos. Not burnt offerings, but our whole selves, all that we have and all that we are. Ignatius's prayer practice came to be known as the examine, and that's why I brought my little show-and-tell book today. The examine prayer has been around for more than 500 years, a process for helping people remember and have clarified for them what it is God has given them to use in service to God. A five-part process of prayer that invites the person to consider, what is it that I have? What is it that I am that God is inviting me to offer? I was first introduced to the examine sometime around 2005. In a little book, the title was The Sevenfold Yes, saying yes to our deepest desires. And in that little book, it wasn't much bigger than this. In fact, it might have actually been smaller. The reader was invited to consider what desires God had placed in his or her heart and to pay attention to those. Because God had put them there so that when God offers what God has to offer us and wants us to take, we are quick to say yes. We recognize it. That's the point of our gospel lesson this morning. What is it you long for, Jesus is saying? Prioritize that so that when your invitation comes, whenever it comes, you're ready to say yes. The examine has been a part of my life for quite some time, although I don't use it consistently, but it's one of my favorite prayer tools. I thought about what I could tell you about this prayer process and how it had worked in my life, and I have to say I whittled the 45-minute sermon down to just about 12 or 15, because I'm only going to tell you one story, but man, was it hard to pick. This was hard work to figure it out, what God had given me, my desires, what, who, who am I and what do I have to offer that God might want to use? But God makes it known in our lives, in the very fabric, and the very sources of our lives. And that's where the careful listening and prayer comes into play. My first experience, as I said, was in 2005. But I'm going to tell the story that has you in it, because I think you'll like that one better. It's a modern-day story. It started in 2010. As I became aware that it was time to move, to make a change in my ministry, I needed to take stock of me and what I have 
And so with the help of a spiritual director and some close, faithful friends, I began to make some notes as part of my prayer life. I came up with a list of about 10 things that kind of summarize who I am and what I have. And I began the process of looking for a church to serve with these things. I was six months into the process, the summer of 2010, when I was on the short list for a particular congregation. And it was a great congregation. I'm sure that it is still a great congregation. When I looked at my list of 10 items, eight of them matched. And I was delighted. That's a really high percentage, wouldn't you agree? 80%, how much more should I hope for? And so I was on their short list and was eager for this to come to fruition. I had done my best to help this congregation know who I am and what I have to offer so that they could help me hear what God is saying. And I was disappointed, according to my journal, to learn that they didn't pick me. That was the summer of 2010. There were still other positions open, so I started to pursue some of those. Going along, there was one that seemed quite promising, but I noticed that it only had about six out of 10, and so I let it go, even though there was nothing else on the horizon. I couldn't settle for that percentage. It didn't seem right. I'd done the hard work, and my spiritual friends were encouraging me, hold fast. And so another position came open, and I was on the short list for them. This was around January of 2012. I was excited by this possibility. It had nine out of 10. 90% is incredible. I decided I didn't really need to use that other piece. I could just, you know, shelve it or something. And so I was hopeful that that position would come to fruition. And it didn't. I was perplexed and fearful. Nine out of 10 is awesome. And yet my friends, my spiritual companions said, hold fast. Just keep holding on. And that's when I became engaged in the process with you. And I did hold on. I brought my 10 things, the same 10 things to the table that I had brought to all the others. And one by one, they were met. The match happened on each one. All 10 out of 10. All that I have and all that I am, I get to bring to my work and ministry with you. God wants to use all that we have and all that we are. I'm sure God wants to do that with each of you and with us collectively. And so our job as individuals is to consider what is it we have, who is it that we are, and how is it that God wants to respond to what God has placed within us, inviting us to say yes to hold fast and to learn to trust God with all that we are and all that we have for God's glory. That's the point of our gospel lesson today. Those wise bridesmaids knew what they were there for and they knew what they longed for. And so they were prepared. They did not get distracted by some of the other things around them even though you could justify it by being friendly or sharing. But they knew that they longed to be with the Messiah, the bridegroom, that's who it symbols, the one who comes to save us, to redeem us. And you know what? The fascinating thing about Matthew's gospel 
is the kingdom of God is repeated as being here and now. So that when we give all that we are and all that we have to God, we realize the kingdom here and now. Each of us collectively, fully within ourselves, the redeeming power of the kingdom, the freedom of the kingdom, the peace of the kingdom, the joy of the kingdom. It's hard work to get to that place. And God will continue to make it hard work for us because God longs to draw us more fully into God's self. We can't embark on this work by ourselves. It's too hard. But with the help of faithful people, people who are 500 years since gone, and collectively in our midst, we begin to learn how to listen to what God is doing among us. Because you see, my friends, you can have as much of Jesus as you want. You can have as much of Jesus as you want. You simply have to decide how much you want. Amen.